It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study it is thursday evening june 12th and we're live on your computer tonight we hope you'll stay tuned as we look to the scriptures tonight to find out more about what God wants from us in our lives, as we do on the virtual Bible study every Thursday night, thank you for being a part of it. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Good evening. Jacob, good to be with you, as always, for Thursday night Bible study on the Internet, the virtual Bible study. We're glad for the listeners that are out there. A lot of you make it a regular Thursday night appointment, and we appreciate you for that. We know we've got other listeners, Jacob, who listen typically by the by way of the archives, and we're glad for those who listen to the archives of the podcast. But we especially like to have live listeners who participate, and we appreciate those who do. All right, and you can participate by dialing 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com, and we do hope that you will participate on the program tonight. As we have an interesting topic of discussion tonight, Dad, we want to talk about uh, things that would upset Jesus if he were to be on the earth today. This is really a wide-open discussion. We could go in probably hundreds of different directions, but the thought just the thought of for tonight is if Jesus were here on earth today, of all the things that are going on, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, of all the things that we see happening in the world today, which of those things do you think would upset him the most? Uh, and so th- that, that was the question that we put out earlier today. On Thursdays, we send out a, a, a note to our update list and tell them what our theme is going to be. And that was the theme that we reported to them earlier today. And we asked just one simple question, and it was that one. If Jesus were on earth today... What would upset him most? And we're getting some feedback. We want some more. One simple question, but there's a lot of things that you might say about that. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or give us a phone call. We'd be glad to take a a phone call. However, right at this very moment, we've got our phone line tied up, Jacob. We've got a a guest on the phone that's going to talk with us for a few minutes, our good friend Chris Bates. Chris, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, uh, Greg, and thank you, Jacob, for having me on the program tonight. It's an honor. Uh, some of you might, rec- well, maybe not over the telephone. Our connection is not perfect tonight, but uh, you might recognize Chris's voice. He's our professional radio announcer who does a lot of our announcement spots on the program. And he's also been a participant on the Virtual Bible Study several times in the past. And we're always glad to have Chris around and talk to us about things from the Bible. Chris, uh, we thought we'd get some input from you right up front, uh, maybe kick the discussion off. Have you got some ideas about what you think Jesus would be particularly upset about if he were in the in the world today? You know, I, I guess like everybody, I have some ideas about things like that. I'm not quite sure I, I'm qualified to establish those as as uh, uh, absolutes that I think that he would be upset at more than others. But you know, I mean, if I if I could comp out for a minute and say that all sin being transgression and, and law-breaking against the Lord, he would be displeased with all of that. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, we live in a, in a time when people try to minimize the 
the uh, nature of sin and the reality of sin. And so whatever sin may be under consideration, there's never going to be a sin that Jesus is pleased with. But in, in, other, words, as it, in other words, Chris, if you just named a sin then we could say with certainty that Jesus would be upset about people committing that sin. We know that oh, for a fact. Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think that uh, when you consider his statement in John chapter 8, uh, around verse 21, that he, he says that where he, those who die in sin, where he goes, they cannot come. And whatever sin that happens to be, whether it's the sin of unbelief in him as the Son of God or whether it's any other transgression against the, the Father and the God of all creation, if it is sin, if it's transgression, and you die in it, then you're dying right opposite of what the Revelation letter admonishes, that we should die in the Lord, and then we can expect to be blessed on the final day. But I, I think that's uh, a good point, Chris, and, and, and one that we've got to point out. While we want to talk about a lot of the things going on in our world that are very disturbing and very against God, we wouldn't want to leave anybody with the impression that there are sins that are not significant, that you could do certain sins and Jesus wouldn't be too upset about that. You know, you know, maybe, maybe I tell a little white lie now and then, but that's a, in comparison to a lot of the other things that are going on in the world. You know, my little white lies are pretty small things, insignificant. And I, and I just kind of think that, that the Lord will overlook those things. He won't be too upset about that. We would not want to leave anybody with that impression. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's interesting that you use that illustration because I, I really do mean this. I had no idea that we were going to go on tonight and talk about this uh, other than the fact that I got an email from you earlier about what the topic was. And it's, again, an honor to be on the program. But it's so funny that just last week I had that very conversation with, of all things, I had that very conversation with a Christian. And uh, this Christian, uh, granted, is not strong, is not solid, but he is a Christian nonetheless, and he was doing his best to make a case to me that there have to be times when the Lord uh, allows sin. And he gave a for instance. He says, well, you know, suppose you're walking around the, a building and a big concrete block falls out and it lands on your foot, and you utter a particular word that a lot of folks might utter today, uh, that have, has come to the forefront thanks to rated R movies and other other things. And uh, he said, "What would what would uh, Jesus think about that?" And I I said, "It's interesting that you ask that question because he speaks to that idea in Matthew chapter 12 when he says in verse 36 and 37, "I tell you that every careless or idle word that people speak, they will give an accounting for it in the day of judgment." And this is the part that a lot of folks don't. Uh, don't think soberly about his next statement, for by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. It is it, Even the words we speak uh, are of a serious nature to get the Lord's attention. And so, and he said uh, there, Chris, he said specifically every idle word, and that would include those that were uttered in a time of, of uh, pain or distress as well as any other time, every idle word. Right, every, every careless, every idle word. Uh, you know, we have the command not to have any un, no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth, and that word literally means rotten, uh, rotten word. And, and I don't want to be too uh, graphic here, but you, you, we all live in Tennessee here, and it doesn't take much to drive the back roads and see an animal that's been hit, a possum, a raccoon, or something rotting away in the middle of the road. If you rolled your window down and get a good whiff of that, uh, it'll get your attention. Well, that's the description that God gives of words that come out of some people's mouth. And so, again, as I say all of that to make the point that 
you know, there, there are a number of, of folks who would have us push the limits to try to see just what we can get away with by way of sin, and what they're trying to do is categorize sin. Here's some sin that, like you said a minute ago, is a, a white lie. It's, it's something that it was told for the greater good. Uh, here's something that, you know, it doesn't really bother anybody, and that's what this, this Christian was saying to me. He said, you know, I just say a few foul words. I don't bother anybody. I don't, I'm not a violent person, and I, I responded by, well, suppose there's an idolater that lives next door to you, and he doesn't bother anybody. He's not a child molester, he's not a rapist, and he's not an adulterer, but he's an idolater. He, he worships another god uh, that is no legitimate god at all, for, because it's not Jehovah, uh, so why couldn't he also make the same case? You see what I mean? Yeah. The, uh, the, we'd have to be pretty careful about slipping off into, and I think that's what that guy you were talking about, Chris, was doing, slipping off into sort of situation ethics or, right. you know, trying to, trying to, who, whoever made the rule that it's okay for me to do something as long as I'm not hurting somebody else. <laughs> I, I haven't read that in my Bible, but a lot of people have that idea. Well, that's true, but, you know, uh, again, to, to, to the point of your question, you know, what, what, if I, if I were to try to get nailed down here and, at least participate the way the way you intend me to. Uh, what would I what would I see that you know is going on today that the Lord would be most displeased with? Well, I certainly know that there is a list of things in the Scripture that uh, point towards what the Lord hates. Uh, in Proverbs six, He would hate haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood so on and so forth, the one who sows discord among brethren, that certainly can't be something that the Lord is pleased with, and that was going on even before Jesus came to the earth. It's going on now. Uh, certainly, if he were here, he would have a problem with that. He would have a great problem with that. I think that's right, and and that, that sort of heads in a direction that I'm thinking about in in reference to our discussion tonight. It seems to me that when Jesus was here on earth, the people who got his um, rebuke most often were not just people who, who were completely non-religious, who were out there doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. I mean, Jesus dealt with sinners, and he, and he always uh, encouraged them to, to repent and to do what was right. But the ones who got his strongest rebuke were typically the religious leaders of his day who were so hypocritical and full of pride and arrogance. You know, that's right. And that's, that, therein is another point that, you know, another thing that it is so glaringly obvious in the Bible that Jesus had, had some real issues uh, with, from a personal standpoint, he did not like it at all, was hypocrisy. Uh, some eight times or so in, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, he singles out the Pharisees and the scribes as hypocrites. And uh, he gives a parable in Luke uh, 18 of, of the uh, parable of the rich, uh, rather the uh, uh, tax collector who had gone to the temple to pray where the, the Pharisee had also. And uh, there was a different attitude amongst the two. And one of them was humble, the other was was not, and uh, yet he was uh, somewhat hypocritical in how he was approaching the Lord. You know, he, he's approaching the Lord as if he is very high and mighty. You know, I thank you, Father, that I'm not like anybody else or this, these other people, these swindlers and these unjust folks and these adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. Uh, I, I fast twice a week. He's just singing his own praises uh, when, in fact, he, he, he was uh, very hypocritical, essentially, to approach the, the Father that way in prayer as if he were... Uh, almost equal to him, 
uh, and, and the Lord condemned that kind of, of haughtiness, which we said a moment ago from Proverbs 6 or something that he hates. Uh, certainly he would hate murder. Uh, there are people who just go around and they, they're just murdering folks uh, for whatever reason. They may be gang members, and uh, this is a part of the initiation process. I mean, you could talk about rape. You could talk about abortion. We mentioned hands that shed innocent blood. Uh, I, I, I would... I would uh, venture a guess, and I think it's a fairly educated one based on the scriptures, that when it comes to those kind of issues, abortion, murder, things like that, that Jesus, through his word, has spoken pretty loudly against those kind of things. I think that's right. I I, I, I got to believe that on a lot of people's list would have to be, the, as you said, Chris, the shedding of innocent blood, especially in the matter of abortion. When you think about sinless, innocent children in their mother's womb, and and uh, the murder of those uh, those souls that's uh, that's got to be something that I mean it, it it's it's disgusting to us and surely it is to the Lord because the the Bible so often talks about uh, mistreating the the innocent and the defenseless and those who can't help themselves the oppression of those kinds of people and I don't think there's anybody who fits that description more fully than the idea of a baby in the womb. And and for uh, the millions to be murdered annually that are by way of abortion, that's surely got to be something that's, that that uh, really uh, is upsetting to the Lord. And that's and that's uh, what we're talking about tonight. Sure, absolutely. Well, Chris, we're coming up on a break. We appreciate you kicking off our discussion tonight. Uh, I know you're all, you're traveling on the road, and we've got you on your cell phone. We appreciate you taking a minute to talk to us. Well, thanks for including me in the program. It was a real joy to be with you tonight. All right, Chris. We'll be talking to you. Mm-hmm. All right. The phone number is 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'll take a short break, and we'll continue the discussion. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study is back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? The College View Church is still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible, and they're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back. Thank you for your participation in the program tonight, and we look forward to your comments. As we're talking about things that would bother Jesus on the program today if he were to come back to earth. And, Dad, as I was thinking tonight about your topic, and it really is a rather wide uh, topic. You can really take this anywhere you want to go. But when you think about Jesus and uh what bothered him when he was here on the earth uh, in the first century, his focus was, as you mentioned earlier, it was on those religious people who claimed religion and claimed faith, but uh, in actuality weren't living it. They were outwardly uh, very religious and going through the motions and uh, very practically speaking and uh, in their um, in their religious practices, they were dead on. But in their lives, they were not living uh, as they should. I think that's right. And I think, as I've thought about this, I think that we, 
And again, uh, we, uh, I don't want to overstate this. We'll have to repeat it over and over again through the program. Obviously, we, we're not excusing any sin at all. And anything that's sin needs to be repented of and made right. But Jesus clearly, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you read his life and his interaction with people, the ones without doubt, the ones who got his strongest rebukes and his harshest words of criticism were those religious people whose hearts weren't right. Uh, Chris mentioned Matthew chapter 23, a long discourse on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees there, and he and he called them that over and over again there. And Matthew 23, he called them hypocrites. He called them whited sepulchers and so forth. He used very strong condemnation of the religious people. In, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember in chapter 6 of Matthew, he goes through... Several different things that they did when they gave alms, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, that is when they were making some gift to the poor, they wanted to sound a trumpet and get a big crowd around before they gave a little bit of money to poor people. When they prayed, they wanted to stand on the uh, the corners of the streets and make loud and repetitious prayers to get men to admire them. When they fasted, they would purposefully disfigure their face, maybe put dirt or something on their face to make it look like they'd been fasting for a long time to get people to respect them. And Jesus had no respect for that whatsoever. He said, if you're going to act like that, you've already got your reward and don't expect any reward from the Father who's in heaven. So I think probably since, since we know that's what got Jesus upset when he was here on earth, we'd have to say clearly that uh, pretentious religious people today would definitely upset Jesus. I mean, that 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 has to be true. And the pretension is they're going through the outward acts. They're doing everything right. Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weight of your matters, the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. And so the Pharisees were dead, dead on in the outward actions, in the religious uh, formalities. But in their everyday personal lives, there were that whited sepulcher, as you said. Um, they made, made clean the outside of the cup, but inside there was all kinds of contamination. And so that can be our problem today as well. And Jesus would be very upset about that if he were to come back and find that. I think that's right. Jason sent in an email to Jacob. and one of the th- We'll get to several things he mentioned here. But one of the things that he mentioned was lukewarm disciples jesus said that he would spit those out of his mouth who were lukewarm christians in the first century of course he's making reference there in revelation chapter 3 to the church at laodicea famous for its lukewarmness uh jesus said in revelation 3 verse 15 i know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot i would thou wert cold or hot so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot i will spew thee out of my mouth and so here here were some people who were lukewarm, and they didn't even realize it. He goes on to say, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So here were some people who made a pretense of religion and imagined themselves to be doing very well, but they were lukewarm and very disgusting to Jesus. So we know that that would be the case, that religious people who are going just making a show, Religious people who are not sincere and serving him from the heart, he he would be disgusted with that. He is, by the way, we should say, Jacob, not only would he be, he is. Although he's not here in physical form, he's certainly here and 
is aware of all that's going on, and I would say not only would he be disgusted, he is disgusted by that. Yeah, good point. And I'm looking over our responses, and uh, it is good. Our responses are are centered around those people who would claim to be religious. I don't have, I don't see any responses here that said Jesus would be upset with uh, the prostitutes or uh, the drug addicts. There's nothing like that here in this list. It is uh, the people that have commented so far, and hopefully you will comment as well. Focusing on people who are religious and the, the 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 error that may be in our lives and the deficiencies in our lives that need to be corrected. Yeah, and I think he would be upset with some of the things that the very sin, sinful and ungodly world is involved in. He'd I have mean, to be. I mean, by we talked we talked about abortion. We could talk about homosexuality and prostitution and those kinds of things. Those things would definitely upset him. I don't doubt that at all. But there, a lot of those kind of things were going on in the world of his day when he was here in the flesh. And and yet he dealt with those sinners. He never tolerated their sin. He never endorsed it or allowed it. He always encouraged people to repent of what they were doing that was wrong. So we we're not saying he wouldn't be upset with that, but clearly he would be upset with the the, the religious people who are not really sincerely doing their will. Well, you know, I think part of the danger of that is, and as you mentioned, the church at Laodicea there that the the danger of the sin in religious people's lives is that they think that they're okay, that there is no problem, and that's the problem with religious people in the first century and problem with us today. And uh, thankfully our listeners have noted that there could be problems in our lives that need to be corrected. We need to always be aware of that. And that was a problem that Jesus noted, that they thought everything was fine, and so that really uh, upset Jesus. Um, Along that line, another thing that Jason mentioned in his email to us was that pride would be something that would upset Jesus. He says, pretty much all sin is rooted in the sin of pride. We are deciding to do something our own way instead of what God said he wants us to do. And really, that's what sin is. It's it's a violation of God's will, and it's it's a rebellion against him. So I would agree that pride is a big problem, and pride typically is what keeps us from doing what we're supposed to do. In First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, Peter said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Well, let me catch the verse just before that. Also, First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, be clothed in humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And so uh, humility, a lack of pride, is a characteristic that the Lord desires in his people. And so he would be upset when we are filled with pride and when that pride keeps us from submitting to his will. And as Jason said, that uh, the pride does cause us to not want to submit to God. When we are engaged in sin, we have said to God, God, you said said to do it one way, but I disagree with that. I think I know better than you. I'm going to do it another way. And that's really when you get down to sin, it is bound up in pride, and we think that we know better than God. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 tells us God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so... We need to understand that uh, we cannot uh, direct our own steps, God, Dad, and so we've got to follow God's way and be humble enough to admit that God is correct all of the time, 100% of the time, and 100% of the circumstances. God's way is the right way, and we're going to be humble enough to submit to it all the time. That shouldn't be too hard for us to to uh, relate to. If you If you owned a business and you hired employees and you told them that you wanted them to do this particular part of the job in this specific way, and then when you came back to check later and they had done it their own way and hadn't followed your instructions at all, would you be upset about that? Well, obviously you would be upset about that. So it shouldn't be too hard for us to imagine that the Lord would be upset when people won't do what he says the way he says to do it.
Um, that, and that's, as Jason said, rightfully so, I think, is pride. And imagine the uh, the arrogance, Dad, and the audacity if you were to create a machine. Maybe you were to design an automobile, and you're going to let someone else uh, drive the automobile, and you uh, get them behind the seat, and you give them a quick uh, go over of the controls, and you explain to them the way that the vehicle operates, and you say, now, don't push this button when you're going down the road, or else it's going to cause damage to the engine. And uh, they're driving the car, and they push that button, and they damage the engine. Imagine the audacity. You designed the thing. You know what's best for it. And uh, you bring someone else onto the scene, and they think they know better than you about the thing that you designed. And the same is true for us, Dad, in our lives. God designed us. He knows what's best for us. He's given us instructions that are for our good. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. And we have the audacity to think we know better than God and that we know how we ought to live our lives. And so we disregard his instructions, and we go after our own. Uh, certainly, it is a repulsive thing to God, and uh, is very and I think detrimental it, to us. I life. think it is pride too. You know, the, the idea. Well, the Bible is an old book written a long time ago to people who don't didn't have the same issues that we have. Therefore, we've got to we've got to figure it out. Or on our God own. didn't. God doesn't understand what I'm in right now. Yeah. Certainly, He would have to understand if He uh, were here what I'm going through. And, and certainly, it's it's all diff, uh, wrapped up in pride. Let me catch another thing here on Jason's list. Uh, he mentions idolatry. There is definitely a lot of idolatry in the world today. Idolatry is one of the more frequent reasons that God punished Israel. So would the Lord be upset with idolatry? Well, he always has been, right? The Old Testament, in fact, is, as Jason rightfully points out, the Old Testament was absolutely full of references to God punishing the Israelites because they practiced idolatry. So uh, I w- f- first point, I would agree, idolatry would surely upset him. Now, we think about idolatry being something primarily in the Old Testament. We don't think about it as much in the New Testament. Yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, we read, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And so it was a problem in the first century that necessitated the well, command. Well, you know, somebody could argue, here's, here's one of those instances where we live in a different world. Times have changed. And maybe the Bible's out of date because we don't have any idols. Have you ever, in your entire life, Jacob, have you ever seen an idol? Have you seen a carved image that somebody set up on an altar someplace and bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and so forth? Not Personally, I mean, well, I'm, perhaps in a museum or something like that, but yeah. uh, not in a, not in everyday. I don't I don't come across people who have an idol that they're bowing down to in you know at the time in the literal sense. In the literal that, sense, nor do the, I think that the Christians in the first century and first that were reading First Corinthians chapter ten verse fourteen would have been tempted to go buy an idol. Well, there might have been. There was certainly pagan. There was a lot of paganism, and in a Greek city like. Corinth, there there would have been a lot of you know they, they had their idolatrous gods in that era. We don't so much now, and so people could say, well, idolatry is not an issue for us. But when we, if we look at the very simplest definition of what I, what constitutes idolatry, it's putting something in the place of God. It's it's something supplanting the place that God's supposed to have, worshiping something other than God. And in Colossians chapter three verse five. Paul says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There's, I think, the idolatry, at least in our part of the world, there's the idolatry that people are more guilty of than any other. And it is the idea of covetousness, materialism, uh, desiring this world's goods, uh, and, and allowing that to displace God from from the rightful position that he ought to hold in our hearts. And so, you know, I think we might dismiss the the problem of idolatry as being something that we wouldn't have to worry too much about, but I think we've got the problem. 
Well, and it's certainly we're bombarded with it uh, constantly throughout the day with the advertising that's uh, prevalent, Dad, that, that they set up the material things as idols and uh, that are something to be admired and something to covet. And uh, we certainly have to be aware of covetousness and idolatry. So we appreciate Jason for calling and, that to us. And, and before we get to this break time, I know we're coming up on a break, but he's got one other point on, on his list of things that would upset Jesus. He says false teaching in the church. Um, again, probably people in the general population say, I don't see that's a big problem because I, I don't think it's an issue. You can pretty much do what you want to religiously, so we don't have to worry if someone is technically accurate or not. What would it matter if they're off on some point or another? That's, that's the common religious view. It doesn't matter. Well, we know what God thinks about uh, false teachers in Second Peter chapter Second Peter chapter two verse one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring themselves upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, God calls them damnable heresies. There, Dad, he, no use for these false teachers. No use for uh, their doctrines. He they need to be corrected and they need to to repent. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, though, verse 8, Galatians 1 verse 8, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He said it would be an accursed thing to teach something different. And so uh, false teaching would definitely upset him. we got to be upset by false teaching. We cannot develop this this false idea that's so common and prevalent in the religious world. I'm okay, you're okay. That's not true to the Bible at all. And, and the Lord is upset, and we must be upset when false teaching takes place. All right, we'll continue the discussion after this week's bullet point. We hope you'll stay tuned. If you haven't commented so far, we hope you'll take this time as we listen to the bullet point to get your thoughts together and let us know what you think would upset Jesus the most. Were he to be on the earth today, what would be his focus? What would upset him the most among the things that are going on in the world today? Let us know your thoughts. The phone line is open at 877-381-4567. Or you can email us at questions at collegeview.com. Stay tuned. We'll listen to this week's bullet point and be right back after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In every healthy congregation, you'll find certain people that compromise the essential heart and soul of the church. They are the ones who are present at all the assemblies. They make it a point never to miss any of the services. If it's necessary to make changes, adjust schedules, suffer inconvenience, or simply miss out on other activities, they will do so because they are committed to be present at every time the doors are open. These folks actually look for opportunities to serve. If there's work to be done, Bible classes to be taught, weak members to be encouraged, sick folks to be visited, menial chores to be fulfilled, they will step up and get the job done. They are not waiting to be told what to do. Instead, they are searching for more and more that can be accomplished. In matters of personal purity and morality, these people are setting a worthy example. They don't look for loopholes to justify untoward behavior. Rather, they go the extra mile to make sure that there's not even an appearance of evil, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. In the clothes they wear, the language they use, the places they go, the movies and TV they watch, these brethren are determined to do the right thing. Most surveys indicate that 80% of what's contributed in any church comes from about 20% of the membership. The kind of people we're describing here are among that 20%. They are truly sacrificial in their giving. 
When conflicts arise in the church, these people can be counted on to help make resolution. They are not the sort to get their feelings hurt easily. Instead, they work hard to address situations that, left unheeded, could lead to serious division. They stand firmly and without compromise for the truth. They love their brethren, and they care about the church. More could be said, but the picture is pretty clear. Local churches depend on these members. In fact, without them, a congregation will never prosper. Now, the simple question is, Are you one of these essential church members? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now back to the program. And welcome back, and thank you again for your participation on the program tonight. As we talk about things that would upset Jesus, and certainly the list is long, Dad, as we look at what our uh, listeners have given us, uh, certainly not a lot of overlapping here. Lots of different things that could upset Jesus. Uh, real quick, let me catch a, uh, an email that's come in from Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee. Got a couple got a couple of messages here, Jacob, from Cullioca. I want to catch them real quick. First they are one, on the information superhighway tonight. That's right, there. down there in Cullioca. They're really uh, the high-tech. Um, Arthur asked, would this, would, would Luke 13, 1 through 5 be pertinent to this discussion? And I think it would, and, and I appreciate the, the thought. <clears throat> Jesus said, Luke 13, beginning verse 1, there were present at that season some that told him of the, of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said to them, suppose ye that th- these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, I think what Arthur has in, is, is the point we were stressing with Chris earlier. It's, we can't excuse any sin. All sin must be repented of. One sin is not regarded to be more serious than another in, in the estimation of the Lord. All sins are of, of uh uh, have equal consequence in the sense that they can cause us to be lost eternally in hell. And so I appreciate that. And I do think that's something we want to keep reminding. We can't excuse any sin. And then Mike in Kalioka writes in and says he thinks one of the things the Lord would be upset about, the immodest dress that you see today just about everywhere you go is a lot worse today than in Jesus' day. And I think he's right about that, Jacob. The kind of things that people wear in public today wouldn't even have been imagined in the time of Jesus. And so we're dealing with a situation there far worse than it was in his day and time. The Bible speaks about the the need to maintain modesty and decency. Uh, there, There are a number of passages that we have talked about when we talk specifically about modesty. But, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 9, Paul says, I, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, and so on the text goes. The Bible instructs toward modesty. The world has generally ignored that. You've got to believe that the Lord would be upset with that as well. So thanks, Mike, for your input, and Arthur, for yours down there in Kalioka. We talk about, though, the fact that uh, religious people were concerning to God. I think that um, Jesus would be... Perhaps most upset, though, with the religious people in the world who claim to be following Christ, who are dressing immodestly, because total hypocrisy there. Women who fear God, Dad, dress in modest ways, and they keep themselves covered. And and we would claim to be religious, and we claim to fear God and be following him, 
Yet we dress immodestly. It tells us one thing, we do not fear God if we're dressing immodestly. Exactly right. And that's that hypocrisy we were talking about earlier. We want to say that we love the Lord, but we want to really be like the world and dress like them and act like them and talk like them. And so uh, that, that's that's a, a point. I was listening to a sermon uh, this week, and uh, I'm not, I don't even know the preacher's name, but he made an interesting point out. He said that... Uh, uh, a few years ago, it used to take a bolt or a whole uh, bale of cotton to make a woman's dress. He said, nowadays, a silkworm can get the job done on his lunch hour. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that's that's true. And uh, he made some interesting points. He went back to Proverbs chapter 7, where he talks about the, the young man who gets enticed by the woman and talks about the fact that, uh, you know, you can be successful in uh, getting a man, if you're a woman, and dress immodestly, you can you can get a man almost uh, you know on the spot uh, if you dress a certain way. We talked about the character of that young man that the woman was successful in getting with her her harlotry, and uh, not the kind of man that any woman would want. The kind of man that a woman would want, Dad, would be the uh, the man who would not be interested in the woman dressing immodestly. Yeah, you see some of these young women, especially out in public, dressed the way they are, and you have to wonder. Where's where's her father? Where's her mother? Why would they let their their young person go out dressed in such fashion? It's really it's really sad. First Peter three five. For after this manner in the old in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husband. Women who trust in God will dress modestly, and men who trust in God will stay away from those women who are dressed in modesty. And and, and men who fear God will instruct their wives and daughters to dress modestly as well. I've know. been told before that. Uh, by a man who whose wife was dressed, who, who not his wife, his da- young daughter was dressing very provocatively. That uh, he said, "You will be surprised what you will allow your daughter to wear." And men who are interested in serving God, Dad, will not allow their daughters to dress in ways that are immodestly. I believe uh, we need to be uh, leading our household, Dad, and correcting our children. And certainly, we need to be aware of that. Exactly right. Real quick, let me pick up an email from Don in Antioch, Tennessee. Don writes in and he says, one thing uh, that takes in a lot of other things, uh, would he, the Lord would be upset with his name being tacked onto ungodly things. And then he mentions uh, certain denominations or religious groups wearing the name of the Lord, but I think he's, his point here, wearing the name of the Lord, but not following his will. Ungodly people calling themselves Christians. And then he mentions some of the th- other things. He mentions Christmas, Chris- Christian music, theme parks, movies, plays, fictional books, etc. All the idea of at- attaching the name of Christ to things that really don't have anything to do with Christ. And I agree that that would be something the Lord would be upset with. You know, Same thing. You wouldn't want your right, name put right. on something you don't agree with. If you know, if if. Uh, what if they? What if they? You, you picked up the newspaper tomorrow morning, Jacob, and it said uh, that here on on the town square they're going to have the first annual Jacob Gwynn beer chugging contest. Right. Why are they putting your name with something like that? You don't have anything. You don't agree with that. You don't. You don't want to have your name associated with anything like that. Well, you got to believe that Jesus would feel the same way, having his name associated with things that he does not approve of. Or the uh, the Greg Gwynn devouring of widows' household uh, foundation or something. <laughs> yeah. like, they were like the religious people in, in, in the first century. They were devouring widows' homes, and, and uh, yet they were saying they were children of God. And, and so the, you know, the inconsistency there certainly would be alarming. Exactly right. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com is how you participate. 
Let's get to an email from our friend Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, who uh, writes in. He, he's got several things here. We'll just we'll just hit them kind of rapid fire, Dave. We're gonna have to get to some of these other emails we're getting. We still want an email from you if you have not sent in one yet. Jim in Mount Pleasant says, "What would upset Jesus most? General apathy of brethren. Sometimes seems like brethren have no desire." We already talked about lukewarm Christians, and I think I think that's right. The 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 Lord spoke to that and it's very clear that that's disgusting to him we need to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness dad and yet we don't see a lot of hunger in some people who claim to be christians you know that passage that you alluded to there's from jesus uh, in what we often refer to as the beatitudes matthew chapter 5 verse 6 blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled i understand that the words that are used there in that verse the words that jesus chose to use in the original language suggest the idea of starving to death we should desire righteousness with the same uh, um desire of a person who's starving if you were starving to death there wouldn't be anything else on your mind other than get something to eat. but uh, today we're lackadaisical we've got a lot of other things on our plate i uh, don't have a lot of time to study the bible yeah. don't have a lot of time to be with other christians who can encourage me in righteous ways i just got other things i could take it or leave it not a not a strong hunger and thirst for exactly righteousness. right jim mentions number two lack of real spreading of the gospel unwillingness to sacrifice and try different things to spread the gospel I believe that a principal job of disciples is to make more disciples. We often reference the Great Commission, Jesus, some of Jesus' final words and instructions to his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world." Jesus wants us to be fulfilling that great commission, and and there is a sort of a unwillingness or a lack of zeal for doing that work. Uh, we need to think about it. At a time when it would have been nice to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said just the opposite in Romans chapter one verse sixteen. People were getting bloodied up and even killed for proclaiming the gospel of Christ. But Paul said, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." We need to understand that. We need to appreciate it. We need to have the same sentiment, and we need to be sharing that gospel with others. Exactly right. Uh, again, back to Jim's list. Uh, something that would upset the Lord: the willingness of some to believe in gray areas with respect to gospel teaching. Some believe that certain areas of Scripture including things like Romans 14, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, are just too difficult and possibly not understandable for most brethren. So it's just kind of a gray area, and we're going to have to overlook it, let it go. It's not that important. It's an easy way out. Uh, when you come out. across something that would require you to change, then you begin to somehow uh, complicate it and muddy the water so that you don't have to submit to it. So you don't have to change. Or maybe you don't even want to invest the time to study it thoroughly. You know, that, that marriage, divorce, and remarriage thing, that's that's very difficult. And I, If I get too deep into it, I might have to come to a conclusion that I don't like. And it's going to, and, and, and even to reach a conclusion, I'm going to have to devote some time and energy to studying it thoroughly, and I'm just not interested in doing that. And so I, I agree, that's, that's a, a bad attitude that would certainly dis, be disgusting to the Lord. And then finally, Jim mentions brethren's distaste for lessons showing the heirs of denominationalism, institutional brethren, believing that we have peace with such brethren and that this peace may be able to persuade some to return. They don't want to anger those that we might persuade to come and hear the gospel. The, the idea of sort of soft peddling the truth, we don't want to upset anybody, and therefore we will will water it down 
in order to keep it from being upsetting to certain people. The Lord never watered down his message, and he never backed down from those who needed his rebuke, and we've got to imitate him in that. I agree with Jim that some people don't like that kind of teaching, but also, Dad, I, I, I might say that you might have more success in getting people upset when you talk about moral purity and personal uh, purity and, and, and the way that people ha- should live their lives on a personal level. It's easy to talk about other people, but when you talk about people personally, that's when you can really get people upset. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, people don't typically like to be told they're wrong. And, but I think Jim's point there is that some some brethren who may be personally practicing what's right don't want to say anything that might be regarded as offensive to those or who are controversial. Or controversial to those who are in air. And I agree with him. I do think that that's a problem. All right. We're time for one more break. And then we go to the top of the hour. We're running out of time, but we still have time to take your questions or comments over the phone or over email. We hope you'll stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember a time when no one had ever heard of a church with a family life center or a gymnasium? Can you think back to a time when Good Brethren would have been outraged to see a church budget overloaded with kitchen equipment and supplies, athletic equipment, and buses to carry kids to amusement parks? Are you concerned because the church you're attending has gotten all wrapped up in things that you know should not even be a part of the work of the church? Would you like to find a congregation that is committed to simply doing Bible things in Bible ways? If so, please visit the College U Church of Christ. Come see for yourself. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And welcome back. We hope you will take the last few minutes to join in if you haven't joined in already. We've had some great comments, and we're looking forward to yours if we haven't heard from you. 877-381-4567 is the telephone number, and the line is open ready for your fingers to do the walking and to join in on the discussion on the phones, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Uh, we got an email co- has come in from Patrick who mentions this. Uh, this is his idea as to what would upset the Lord most. I think he makes some good points here. Lack of trust, faith, and obedience. I must admit that I'm guilty of this in many respects as well. Jesus was obviously looking for faith when he came to earth and traveled from place to place during his ministry. He marveled when he did find faith, and more than that, when he did find it, it was usually among the Gentiles, the outsiders, rather than among his chosen people, the Jews. A Roman centurion and a Samaritan woman come to mind. It's no different now. There's a lack of faith everywhere. Atheism and agnosticism run rampant. A majority of people in America still will say they believe in God, but what do our practices say when we look past our words? We say we believe in God, but we are still guilty of sexual immorality of all kinds. We fail to honor our parents. We covet. We neglect the poor, the widows, the orphans, and we ignore the sanctity of the Lord's day. We condemn drunkenness, but are guilty of gluttony. We who call ourselves Christians are statistically no different than the typical secular humanist. In fact, I know pagans who express greater faith in their gods than we Christians express in our own God. If we want to know what most displeases God, we should look first at ourselves. Pagans can't be faulted for acting according to what they proclaim themselves to be. We know better and are guilty anyway. Uh, I, I'd have to agree with Patrick. And I think this goes along the lines of what we've been saying uh, throughout the program, Jacob. The strongest rebukes of Jesus were towards those who claimed to be God's appointed people. Yeah, and, certainly some uh, interesting this, uh, observations there from Patrick. You know, when I when you were reading Patrick's email, it brought to mind an idea that I think that 
we have no trouble obeying God when it's on things that we want to obey him on. When uh, when it the Bible tells us that we should um, love our wives, that's fairly easy for us most of the time, right? Because uh, we want to get along with our family. We, we, we want when it tells us to bring up our children in certain ways. We'll do that so that we have order in the house. But when it talks about other things, Dad, he talks about some ideas of self-control there. Uh, when we want to control ourselves, uh, physical things, we want to have self-control. That's more painful and um, and difficult for us to put into practice. We don't want to do that. We want to we want to skip over those things that are not things that we would normally want to do anyways. We want to do what's easy, and we don't want to tackle anything that makes us have to change or do anything that harder or that we're that we're not you know comfortable with. We don't want to, We don't want to be pressured to do anything different than what can we like the outward religious uh, activities because uh, that sort of is a habit with us and it's the way we were brought up and people uh, it makes us look good in front of other people. We'll do those things. But uh, controlling what we view on television or controlling our mouth and our language, those are more difficult things. We don't like those, and so we let those things slip, and um, we're not any better than anyone else when we do that. Well, what what you're saying there is what we really are looking for is a religion of convenience. Versus a religion of faith, which Patrick's mentioned, Patrick mentions there. We've got to have the faith that causes us to do all of God's commands all of the time because we have faith that they're the best way for us. Exactly right. Got an email from today from Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee. Uh, he says, I suppose that Jesus would be most upset at us for being so busy that most of us give him what's left over. We may try to do what's best, but we see what's directly in front of us as most important. Then once we complete these important tasks, quote, important tasks, we give our leftovers to God. God through Malachi tells the Jews what he thinks of this type of obedience. Malachi 1 verse 8, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Jack concludes, he says, I believe this is the overarching problem today in America for Christians. We're too busy and love the things of this world. We love these things of these worlds too much to keep God first. I think Jack is right. That passage from Malachi is a powerful one. The people were just going through the motions of religion. And they were making their sacrifices, but they weren't really sacrificing to make sacrifices. They would give their cast-off animals for the sacrifice and and keep the best for themselves. They were serving themselves first and just giving, as Jack said, the leftovers to God. And he was not pleased with that at all. He said, try, try that with your governor. Try that with your worldly head. Your, your, your higher ups, uh, in government. See if they would accept that from you. And he's, and, and it's sort of a rhetorical question. It's obvious that they would not. And that, this comment means a lot to me because, uh, I know Jack, you know Jack, dad, and Jack is currently sleeping on an air mattress. <laughs> and, uh, Jack's uh, trying to move into a house he's remodeling, but Jack has his priorities in order and he, he doesn't work. Uh, all of the time on his house, like many of us would be tempted to do because he realizes there are other things that have a priority in his life, worshiping God on the first day of the week and spending time uh, on in religious things are important to Jack. And so Jack doesn't uh, is sleeping on an air mattress tonight when he could have his house finished because he has if he if he'd spent Sundays and Wednesday nights and other times working on his house, he'd be a lot closer to getting it done. But he he puts those things aside to to do what he sees as being more important we appreciate jack for that appreciate his comment and i do think he's right i think that the lord would be and is i got to say that again we've been saying what would the lord be upset with 
And what we probably should accurately say is, what is the Lord upset with? Because he sees these things. He is here observing and aware of all that's going on. So the Lord is upset with that. Um, we got an email. we still got time for your email. We've got just a few minutes left on the virtual Bible study, and we'd like to get uh, a response from you. Got any ideas? Got something we haven't covered yet? We've covered a lot of different topics. It's been sort of, Jacob, I remember a long time ago, a preacher said there's two kinds of sermons that preachers preach. One is a, is a rifle-type sermon where you take aim at a single uh, subject or a single point, a single theme, and you, and you shoot at it and, and hopefully hit the target. He said then there are other sermons that are like shotgun uh, sermons, he said, and with those you just go everywhere preaching the word. This has been one of those kind of uh, virtual Bible studies. We've just gone in every uh, conceivable direction, but maybe there's something we haven't thought of, and you have, some subject we haven't covered. And if that's the case, fire off an email real quick or pick up the phone and call us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on the phone. Give us a call. The number is 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. But again, Dad, the common theme, we have been going in all different directions. The common theme is, though, on us personally, we're not looking at other people as much as we're looking at ourselves and asking ourselves, are these areas in our lives, are these characteristics present that would cause Jesus to be upset? We need to be examining ourselves. That's right. It doesn't, doesn't do any particular good for us to say, you know, the Lord would really be upset with the homosexuals or the Lord would really be upset with the, with the, with the abortion doctor. Well, yeah, he would be. And certainly we should speak out about those things, but probably more pertinent. We need to talk about what we're doing. It's too, it's too easy to talk about those yeah. things. It's more difficult to talk about ourselves. More pertinent to talk about ourselves and what we might be doing that would upset him. Uh, we've got an email from Jared in Cookville, Tennessee. Jared writes in, any, number one, any sin that's committed, there's no difference in sin. And that's a theme that we need to repeat. We've been mentioning even from the very start when we had Chris on the phone line, we made the point that we can't we, – we're in this discussion tonight, we are not trying to leave people with the impression that there are sins of rank. Some are worse than others, and that somehow, you know, if you, if you commit the sins at the top of God's horrible list, uh, that's that's real bad, and He will be upset. But you could get by with some things at the lower end of His list of things that are not so serious. The Lord doesn't rank sin that way, and any sin that we don't repent of has the potential to send us to hell in eternity, and we need to know that. So we wouldn't want to leave anybody with a misimpression that. We think that some sins are worse than others. Uh, we wouldn't want our theme tonight to leave that misimpression. So Jared's on the mark when he said any sin that's committed, it would upset the Lord. Number two, people who use the Bible to justify their sinful behavior. Um, thinking of what might be some examples of that, just last evening, Jacob, in our Bible study here at College View, we were talking about, People trying to use different Bible texts to justify their drinking of alcohol. And we were specifically studying last night John chapter 2 where Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. And I've known lots of people who would go to that and say, see, Jesus turned water to wine, therefore it's okay for us to drink alcohol. I think it's an uninformed argument, and I think the people who make it haven't even seriously considered that text, let alone the broader context of the whole Bible concerning the consumption of alcohol and how it's plainly condemned. Jesus did not make alcoholic wine in John chapter 2, and those who make that argument are wrong. But that's an example, I think, of what Jared's talking about there when he says some people want to try to use the Bible to justify their sinful behavior. To take it to its extreme, there are people today who are using the Bible to justify homosexuality. Um, Or using it to justify adultery in the matter of divorcing wives and marrying others that they don't have a scriptural right to remarry. Those are extremes, but... It happens on a much, uh, well, we would say it's less extreme basis, but it happens on a more perhaps common basis when we go to the Bible 
with a preconceived notion and look for scriptures that prove what we wanted to believe anyways. Yeah. Instead of going to the Bible and finding out what God has to say, we go to the Bible and try and prove what we wanted to believe, and that happens a lot by among religious people today. Still going down through Jared's list, he says, people who will not sacrifice their desires, that is, someone who will not deny themselves anything, even if it's a sin. That goes to the point we were making earlier, Jacob, about people looking for a religion of convenience. I'll I'll do it as long as it doesn't require me to give up anything. I'll 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 be a Christian just so long as you know there's no serious price to be paid. I don't have to I don't have to give up doing anything that I want to do or that I've been doing. Um, Jesus taught that to be his disciple was a matter of self-denial. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You can't really be a disciple of the Lord if you're not willing to engage in self-denial. But I think that Jared's right that there's a lot of people there who, who, who are not wanting to do that. He goes on in his list and says that Jesus will be upset with people who use the Lord's name in vain. And again, this is a thing that religious people need to take account of that and and check their speech and i have a request for people who are listening tonight stop using the lord's name in vain it is used so commonly dad in the world today is so common on television on the radio anyone who's excited begins to use the lord's name in vain constantly just rolls right off the tongue and christians are using the same language that they hear so often stop using the lord's name in vain please exactly right and that's a, that's a theme that runs all through the Bible. It is so common to hear people misuse the Lord's name. And even Christians, I hear Christians who, obviously I think it's the influence of the world, listening to worldly people and then almost subconsciously imitating their speech patterns, using the name of the Lord without even thinking about it, using his name in vain. Uh, the Lord has never wanted that, and we've got to believe it would upset him and does upset him when people do it today. Uh, Jared mentions Christians who do not love other Christians and treat them accordingly. Jesus said that that our love one for another would actually be a sign of our discipleship. In uh, John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. It's to be a sign of discipleship. But, boy, how many times have we seen Christians who who do not act like they have any responsibility to treat their brethren in proper ways. It would upset Jesus because we would be sinning, but also would be upsetting Jesus because we'd be hindering the spread of the gospel. Others cannot look to us and know that we're disciples and cannot learn what they need to learn about following Christ from us. And so it would be upsetting on two accounts for Christ, certainly. I think that's right. And then one more point from Jared's email. Religious people who profess they love Jesus but cling to man-made religion. If Jesus is our Lord, then we're going to obey him, and he is going to be our source for authority, and we've got to look to him, and to do otherwise is simply wrong. All right. Some, uh, a couple of quick announcements, Dad. First off, there are a few more bumper stickers I see here, magnetic bumper stickers. Yeah, we've got though. a few left. And if you'd like to have one of those magnetic bumper stickers, send us your snail mail address to questions at collegeview.com. 
and we'll get one in the mail to you. We've got to send that by U.S. mail, but we'll get one in the mail to you. If you want to wear a magnetic uh, bumper sticker around on your car for us to get the word about the Virtual Bible Study, to get the word out, we'd appreciate and it. And they are floating around all over the place. And so they're free, and we, you can have one uh, while the supply lasts. The second say. item that we need to talk about is uh, a special series of meetings coming up at the, at the College of Church of Christ. We, we've got what we're calling Vacation Bible School the week after next, starting a week from Monday, the 23rd of June here at College View, we'll have a, a special week of Bible study. We'll have classes for all ages, including the adults, and we'll have different gospel preachers uh, from Middle Tennessee who will be here to bring lessons. We're all going to be studying from the book of Acts, and so all the lessons will come from the book of Acts. We're talking about Christianity as it began and spread in the first century, as and the history of that's recorded there in the book of Acts, and we're going to be studying that starting June 23rd, that week, every night at 7 o'clock. Here at College View. And if you're in the area, we look forward to you coming and visiting with us if you can. Dad, thank you for the good discussion tonight. Certainly things that we need to think about. We need to make sure that there aren't characteristics in our lives that would upset Jesus. Were he to be on the earth today, and he knows about our life today, he knows everything about our life, and is there anything in our life that would upset him? We need to ask that question. Exactly right. I think it's a worthy consideration. Thank you for your participation in the program tonight. Thank you for listening We hope you benefited from our discussion, and we hope that you will make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.